With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Uh, good morning, George. It has been a little while, but it's always an honor and a privilege to be invited back aboard the flagship. You got it. Hey, any more exorcisms on your plate these days? Well, you know, George, it's, it's interesting that you ask that because... We've actually, you know, moved into a place where I'm getting more and more requests for, you know, I call it paranormal cleansing now, but it's really tomato, tomato. A lot of people are, are dealing with these type of entities and a lot of you know, structures and even people with uh, their animals. So it's, 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 for some reason, it seems to be picking up uh, in frequency, George. Good for you. What else have you been doing these days? Well, George, I have a, a weekly radio show, two hours every Wednesday night, and folks can go to jeffreydarty.com and find out about that. I've also been very happy to start speaking at some conferences. I'll be next week at the Phantom Fest in San Antonio, Texas, and we're about we're days away from kicking off our national tour. We're going to go around and, and speak at churches, speak at conferences, do some book signings, and try to get this crazy message out. I'm going back to my evangelist roots, George. <laughs> well, that's great. Now, Jeffrey, let's let's get involved in some of the things you've been doing with extraterrestrials, and tell me the tie-in with what you've been doing. Well, George, yeah, it, it's interesting because I've never been an extraterrestrial guy. In fact, you know, my conservative religious upbringing kind of precluded that and to be frank I, I blame a lot of this on you because uh, my kids about three years ago my oldest kids uh, Joshua and Sandra she's actually the youngest daughter I have another daughter named Charity so hello to all of them but Joshua and Sandra began to pester me about aliens dad you never talk about aliens you won't even watch X-Files what's the matter with you you've got to listen to this program we've been listening to and they badgered me for weeks and finally they kept me up till late at night here on the East Coast, and I listened to the program, and, of course, it was coast-to-coast coast AM. And when I listened to the program a couple times, George, I was no longer able to just brush it off and say, ah, they're crazy, ah, it's ridiculous. And I began to actually take a very serious look at ETs in the Bible, and it, it shifted to taking a serious look at extraterrestrials in the New Testament. And now here we are. You know, about three years from that date, I've been on your show a couple of times, and tonight, of all things, we're talking about aliens. Yeah, we sure are. And let me tell you, it seems to be a field that is growing and growing and growing, Jeffrey. Uh, you know, as you know, uh, the Ancient Aliens program is in its eighth year now, and there's an incredible interest in this. But it just seems that there's something going on here with these extraterrestrials that seems to be magnifying itself, and it's not as friendly as everybody used to think. I mean, now we're getting physicists like Stephen Hawking coming out saying, be careful, don't invite them here, they won't be good. We're getting more and more stories like that, that these aren't friendly beings at all. 
Absolutely, and it, it's interesting that you know that was on the site, and you've been talking even now about uh, Dr. Hawking's work because I reference that in the book. And yeah, there, there's it seems like we're almost at a at a crossroads or at a watershed moment in our understanding of ETs, and it, it kind of reminds me as we're talking about ETs and the Bible, Daniel made a statement, I know we're talking New Testament, Daniel's definitely Old Testament, but Daniel made a statement in his book, George, that said that these, the understanding of these things was sealed up for many days or for the time of the end, it's, some people render it. And we've always thought, those of us that believe the Bible and, and try to understand the Bible, we've always looked at that as, you know, for some reason the divine has sealed up this information some reason the divine didn't want us to know about it for a certain amount of time. But if I break that down in the original uh, languages there and look at it again, George, I think it really means that it wasn't sealed up by the divine so we wouldn't know it, but it's simply not until our time, George, that we've had the scientific, the cultural, and the uh, the really the the objectivity as a culture to be able to see the totality of this revelation. We're really maybe the first, maybe the second generation that could ever really have the technological understanding to look into the Bible, read and see, you know what? There might be something more here than what we've always thought. When you read Genesis and you put in the possibility of extraterrestrials for all those stories of fallen angels, things like that, it makes sense, doesn't it? No, it really does. And when you look at men, you know, much smarter than I am, like uh, Eric von Daniken and, you know, Zachariah Sitchin and some of the great giants that have done work, you know, in this field. And the hardest thing is that we have 2,000 years of conditioning. We believe what we believe. And this is, you know, this isn't like we believe in, you know, our favorite sports team. This you know, belief in our religion is as deep as a, a belief as we have, and it's so difficult for us to step outside of our conditioning. I mean, even people in the paranormal field, we can talk about Planet X, you know, we can talk about reptilians, we can talk about flat Earth, and we can talk about, you know, cities under the Earth, we can talk about a hollow Earth, and we can kind of think about that and, and exchange ideas, but when it comes to taking an objective look at the Bible, all of a sudden, you know, the brakes come on with a lot of people, and it becomes very, very difficult to find that same objectivity that we have for all the other subjects for the subject that we have at hand tonight. Let's talk about some of the sources for your theories, Jeffrey, that you've put forth here. Absolutely. And, you know, the nice thing about this, George, is that it's not based on some secret Bible code, you know, it's not based on, you know, having a secret decoder ring. It's not based on reading between the lines. It's exclusively based on the New Testament and the New Testament alone. So what I'm saying is I have found what I believe is compelling evidence of an ET UFO alien agenda in the New Testament. And my only source, George, has been the New Testament and the New Testament alone. I use the uh, interlinear Hebrew and Greek to English, you know, that's uh, put out by uh, BibleHub.com. It's actually uh, the the Nestle Greek, uh, 1904 Nestle for the Greek. I use the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, all from BibleHub.com. 
And, George, it's nothing but the New Testament and the New Testament alone. What do you think of the alien agenda, Jeffrey? What do you think it is? Well, you know, George, that's kind of the million-dollar question, isn't it? And it I sure is. That, you know, of course I answer, you know, what I believe it is in the book. And what I would really like to see happen, and you know, with your permission, I think the probably the best service we can do to folks is to show them, you know, take kind of a MUFON type of a view of it, show them the science, you know, stay to just the, you know, the objective facts, and let people then draw their own religious implications from there, because there's a staggering, stunning amount of what we can only see as we look at it objectively, alien agenda in the New Testament. But I'm, I'm leaning, George, personally towards the way you were talking about at the beginning of the show, where it doesn't seem like it's E.T. phone home anymore. It seems like things are a little bit more nefarious and leaning heavily you know, towards the Stephen Hawking type of scenario. What is leading you in that direction too, Jeff? George, I've always been a guy, and, you know, I've been on your show before, and, you know, you wrote the foreword for my first book, and I think you understand. I've always been a guy that's strictly to the text. All I look at, you know, I spent 20 years as an evangelist, as a minister for three of the largest Protestant denominations in the world. I have a Bible college degree. I've got an associate's degree in physical and cultural geography. And I've always restricted myself to the text. I don't look at anything else. I don't channel from anywhere. I don't, you know, do any of those other things. And it's only my study, George, in the New Testament itself that has led me to this place. There really is nothing else other than that. It's just reading the New Testament and finding out that there's information there. And I've probably read the New Testament 150 times now. <laughs> that I've never seen before, George, and it's staggering, and I think it's sobering, and I think it calls for each one of us to take another look at long-way held beliefs and look at them in a, in a fresh new lens. Or through a fresh what new gives lens. you the best proof, the New Testament or the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, Jeffrey, we've got the story, of, of course, of Genesis that we've just talked about, Ezekiel's wheel, and we have those incredibly ancient stories but which of the two books would you say has more ET information in it? Well, as far as more ET information, you know, there's a, as you said, there's a wealth of it in the Old Testament. For, but for me personally, and I don't know how any of our listeners feel, but uh, it's, it's very easy for me to put you know, Ezekiel and Genesis and Daniel it, uh, it's so easy to put so much of that stuff because it's so long ago. It's easy to just set it aside and put it into the background. And really, you can kind of hunker down, if you will, in the New Testament because we don't have to worry about that type of strangeness within the New Testament. And then when I come to study the New Testament and to break down the verses, and George, the staggering thing is that the alien agenda exclusively involves and surrounds the great events in the life of Jesus. So I think as we, if we wait it out, you know, of course the Old Testament's much larger than the New Testament just in volume. But, George, I've got to say, if you, you know, I haven't done that exact research, so I hate to throw out an opinion, but it seems to me that there's probably more ET information per capita, if you will, per, percentage-wise in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Hmm, that's fascinating. Now, was Jesus, in your opinion, an extraterrestrial? 
Well, the man himself said, George, I am not of this world. So, you know, whether we are, you know, a devout, you know, evangelical Christian, uh, we may not like the term extraterrestrial, but we know that Jesus' father, even if we're talking conservative Christian, was not of this world. He was, you know, God, and strictly speaking, God is a being that's not from the earth. So I think in, in true basic definition, you'd have to say, yes, Jesus was an extraterrestrial. But the next question would be, was he an extraterrestrial from, you know, Zeta Reticuli or from some other planet? We know he's not from this earth. So he is extraterrestrial, but the next question is, what kind of an extraterrestrial? And we get a little controversial here now, Jeffrey, and I know you have touched on this in prior interviews. The Immaculate Conception, uh, let's take religion out of it entirely for a moment. The Immaculate Conception, if you really look at it scientifically and with that glance of an extraterrestrial presence, how do we know that Mary, his mother, wasn't artificially inseminated by an ET. Boy, I, I hate going there, but it's it's something you got to bring up. You know, and I, I agree with you 100%, George. And again, we're talking about such deeply held beliefs. But let's just do this. Let's let's just look at the text. What exactly does it say? And when we're talking about Mary and the whole scenario with the angel and with uh, the encounter that she had with God, it's in Matthew chapter 1, is, is a great place to start, and it says, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Lord. Now, when you break that down into the literal English translation, George, no buffering, no shenanigans, just straight Greek to English, it becomes, she discovered she was holding in her womb something from the Lord. And what's striking to me, George, linguistically, is that the word for baby is not used, the word for infant is not used, the word for child is not used. Those words exist in the language. Those words are available, but they simply were not used. And Matthew offers no explanation as to why they were not used, but Luke, who was a doctor, and I think that's key, Luke was a doctor, and Luke wrote in very exacting information, especially when it was medically related. And here's something that I don't really want to throw a monkey wrench in, but Luke actually wrote first. One of the problems that we have in understanding the New Testament is that the New Testament was not written Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. The order that we have is completely arbitrary is completely scrambled, and it has completely disrupted the original flow and development of doctrine, so it becomes very difficult for us to understand how things develop in the New Testament. That's why I produced the Diamond New Testament, which is, as I know, the only chronological presentation of the New Testament in order in existence, and that's what I'm offering for free to folks tonight that go to my website. And, George, your, the, the power of Coast to Coast is impressive. Before the show was even uh, aired, we've had over 3,000 visits to the website and oh, hundreds of the books uh, requested. But Luke actually wrote first. And Luke, the doctor, said, You're highly favored and blessed among women. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. 
Now, here's what that breaks down to. Remember, George, this is a doctor. That's dramatic. He says, you will be taken hold of or seized in your womb. You shall be overtaken as in an attack, and the power, might, and strength of the Lord will envelop you. And this lines up perfectly with Nyman and Bullard's abduction outlines. There's a reassurance, a sense of purpose. You're highly favored of the Lord. There's a capture you'll be taken hold of. Your womb will be seized as in an attack. There's an immobility. There's invasive examinations. And there's something left behind. And again, I mean, here's Dr. Luke telling us a mysterious spiritual entity is telling a teenage girl that her womb's going to be seized. She's going to be overtaken and incapacitated from an attack by a power that completely envelops her and leaves something deposited in her womb. And, George, as you've said, the simple, unavoidable fact in modern objective terms is that it sounds exactly like a forced artificial insemination during a classic alien abduction scenario. That's right. You could have Dr. Luke on this program, George, telling this story, and he'd be completely in context on Coast to Coast AM. It is. It is dramatic. (laughs) It really is dramatic, isn't it? And again, George, here's Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke says, and, of course, the King James Version says, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of the Lord. There you go. In literal English, George, that thing of supernatural origin. Again, the doctor doesn't call it a child, doesn't call it a baby, doesn't call it an infant, as you think the doctor certainly would have. The language was available to him, but he says, that thing of supernatural origin will be called the Son of the Lord. So very, very interesting from a textual point before we even get to religious implications, George. Then 33 years later, we have the crucifixion, and you say there could have been an alien intervention there. Well, George, again, uh, if we restrict ourselves just to the text, then we have what I don't know how else you could describe it. Now, did you want to look at the rest of the birth of Jesus, or did you want to go right to the crucifixion? You're the boss here, my friend. Well, we've got a minute left, so let's stay with the birth then. Okay, well, real quickly, you know, we, we have Mary, you know, in a classic, looks like an artificial insemination scenario. And then when the, the birth actually takes, a, takes place, it says, The angel of the Lord came to them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. Literal English, George, the messenger of the Lord appeared as in an attack, and blinding brightness shone round about them. The language, George, and I'm not making this up. This is straight in the Greek. The language suggests that they were encased in blinding columns of light. How many times have you had someone relate events like this to you on your show, George? Yeah. And it's in the New Testament. There it is, right there, right there. Great work. You've done great work here, Jeffrey. Well, coming from you, George, that really means something. Thank you very much. You stay with us. We're going to come back and talk more about this. We're going to lead up to was there alien involvement in the crucifixion? Absolutely. That and much more coming up. And welcome back. As we talk about the alien agenda, but he's done it in a book called The Final Message of the Last Apostle, Apostle, Alien Agenda in the New Testament. And, Jeffrey, tell us about the e-book again. 
So the ebook, George, is the Diamond New Testament, which is the only presentation of the New Testament in its correct chronological order. And there's a bonus book in there as well that explains what happened with the New Testament, why it was uh, so jumbled, and uh, gives at least my explanation of the agenda that was behind that. And I've sold thousands of those for 10 bucks. You can see on the website it goes for 10 bucks, but tonight for all the coast-to-coast -coast AM guests that requested it, that's absolutely free to them in the ebook version. Now, Jeffrey, we're talking about the crucifixion. Is there an alien involvement in that? Well, George, again, let's just go right to the text. Let's read the text, and let's let uh, the people decide if they see an alien agenda or an alien involvement in that as well. And I'm just going to read the text from the King James, and we'll break it down, if that's okay. Sure. All right, so it says in Mark 15, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, and that's key, keep that in mind, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, and he's on the cross now, with a loud voice saying, L-O-I, L-O-I, Lamos, the box, and I, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Now, when we break this down in literal English, George, what it says is that at the sixth hour, a shadow fell across the land, and the literal rendering of the original language has been horribly mangled in the King James translation. It led us to believe that darkness fell or the sun was diminished, but the, the text clearly shows, George, that darkness did not fall, night did not come upon the land. What came upon the land textually is clear. It was a shadow that came upon the land. The sun didn't set. The sun didn't diminish in power at all. Something blocked the sun and cast a shadow over a large area of Jerusalem for about three hours. And, of course, the question is, what was large enough to block out the sun and cast a shadow over such a large area? And then, George, adding intrigue to the fact is that whatever this thing was casting this shadow, it appears that Jesus was able to see it as he hung on the cross. If you remember in the text, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, L-O-Y, L-O-Y, lame off the box and I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What made Jesus cry out? Why did he cry out at the ninth hour and not before? The scripture says, George, that that shadow lifted at the ninth hour and it lifted at the ninth hour because whatever was causing it began to move away and as that object that was causing the shadow departed it appears that this the exit of this shadow casting object is what upset jesus so greatly and the text shows by his own testimony Jesus thought he was being left behind, literally rendered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, why have you abandoned me and left me here? When the shadow-casting object left, Jesus cried out asking why he was being left behind. From the text, it's clear that Jesus, it looks like at least, expected this object to take him away. Come now, and get him, yeah. Yeah, what kind of an object does one expect to be taken away in? What kind of an object could take a, that could take a person away would be large enough 
to cast a shadow over a large portion of the city of Jerusalem. Is it safe to say that the belief in this possibility doesn't negate the true belief that there was a divine creator? Absolutely not, George. I am a person that uh, endeavors with all of my strength to follow the teachings of Yeshua of Nazareth. And, George, just let me finish this thought. Looking back at the text, before we draw any conclusions, remember that the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. There was an earthquake, graves were opened, and uh, gravestones rolled away. And you've got really three great events there. The earthquake and gravestones rolled away. It's a rather straightforward description of a seismic event. And the striking thing is that this seismic event occurs at the exact same time that whatever was blocking out the sun departed, leaving Jesus uh, behind. It's apparent, George, that the force exerted by that object leaving was great enough to cause at least a localized earthquake. Its gravitational force, its exhaust, caused the actual foundation of the temple to shift. And that veil, George, is about as thick as a man's hand with your, with your fingers stretched out, so it's six, eight, ten inches wide. And it ripped, very, very strong piece of fabric, it ripped from top to bottom, meaning that the, the, the foundation shifted and the bottom fell out of one side of it and caused it to be torn in two. And also, the gravestones were rolled away, exactly what would have happened during an earthquake. And additional evidence is that the rocks were broken up, of course, and the, the gravestones rolled away. So when we put text with text, what we're left with, asking, answering your question, was there alien involvement in the crucifixion, Something huge blocked out the sun and caused a shadow to fall over Jerusalem for three hours. Well, also, I don't know if you followed uh, Fatima, but, you know, witnesses claim that the sun came down. And to me, that's highly unlikely. I think they saw some kind of silvery object. Yeah, absolutely, George. I mean, it was an object large enough to cast a shadow over a big part of the city. It stayed aloft under its own power. It was clearly visible. Jesus expected them to take, it, take him away and was highly agitated when it didn't. Its energy put off enough uh, upon its exit to cause an earthquake. You had a picture of one of these on the, on the website on Friday, George. What blocked out the sun caused an earthquake at the crucifixion? A modern objective mind, and again, it's so hard for us to get objective, might very well conclude that it was a great craft, often categorized as a mothership. So, Jeffrey, as we look at all of this, can you honestly say whether these ETs are demons? Because so many people think so. Now, that's, that's the, again, that's a great question. And, you know, you have you know, basically, what, three classic people think they're either visitors from other star systems, they think they're interdimensional beings, or they think they're demons. And, of course, people that are in the, the Christian realms most, more often will default to the demons. And, you know, George, sometimes I, I, I get frustrated because, you know, I spent 20 years as a Pentecostal evangelist, and, I, you know, you had the Baptists fighting the Pentecostals and the Pentecostals fighting the Presbyterians and all the Protestants fighting all the Catholics, and I thought I left that behind, but sometimes we come into our genre, the paranormal, uh, and, and the things that we look at and study, and we have to fight. No, they're not uh, 
visitors from another planet. They're interdimensional. No, they're not. They're demons. And it's possible that we could all be right or we could all be wrong. It may be a semantic battle, and it would be, I think, we'd be much better served to listen, to understand, to facilitate discussion, lay out all the facts on the table and allow us to come to decisions and conclusions on our own. So I think the word demon, George, is you know thrown about and was probably originally created to create fear and, and dismay in people. So I don't think they're demon demons as, as you know the classic idea is. There's some type of an entity, some type of an unbalanced energy, and I am open to people's ideas and thoughts and I'm certainly encouraging and hoping that we can keep discussion open and not just cross our arms and say, if you're not with me, you're against me. Where does this all fit into end-time prophecy? Well, George, I think that it's, it's the linchpin of end-time prophecy, and the reason the book is called The Final Message of the Last Apostle is because it's basically divided into two sections. You know, we're kind of in section one now, which talks about you know, some of the, the alien agenda in the New Testament. But section two is the final message of the last apostle. And John, and again, because the New Testament is so discombobulated and intentionally so, people don't realize, you know, they think the New Testament was, you know, put together by a big committee and a bunch of scholars, and it was very exactingly done. What people don't realize is that the New Testament was edited compiled and published by one guy named Polycarp. And the, one of the things people don't realize is John the Apostle, even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John is number four, John wrote 40 years after everybody else was finished writing, George. Everybody had finished writing for 40 years. He sure had time then, didn't he? He had time to take a look. He had time, and he was the last guy, George, that had ever walked with Jesus that was alive on planet Earth. So after 40 years of perspective, watching, observing, looking, seeing, John decided to pick up pen and write. And his words are, in the very first chapter of the first book he wrote, he said, I am giving testimony. And it was, it's strictly legal language. So John is giving testimony about things he said that can no longer remain hidden and things that seem so unbelievable, but when they're tested and tried, they will prove to be true. So I think John is taking advantage of 40 years of perspective, and he writes and gives us the summation, if you will, and the application of what is going on with all of this alien agenda, what it's pointing towards, and kind of to just skip ahead, I hope that we can get back and look at the rest of the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But John shows... I believe without any shadow of a doubt that end-time prophecy as we know it, George, is really the description of a great false flag event perpetrated by entities that are not Jesus but are disguising and cloaking themselves as Jesus. And end-time prophecy as we know it, has been horribly misunderstood by all of us, and I'm partly to blame. I preached it for 20 years. But end-time prophecy, specifically and especially the book of Revelation, is John's warning, hey, this is a false flag. Be careful. Don't fall for it. We're with Jeffrey Darty, and we're talking about his work, 
final message of the last apostle, the alien agenda in the New Testament. What is your overview then, Jeffrey, of what all this is? What do you think is happening? What I think is happening is, and you know, and you add things in, George, that you know, I told, said I wouldn't talk about religious applications and let people draw them on their own. But you know, we looked at the birth of Jesus. We've looked at the, the crucifixion of Jesus. We've seen unmistakable alien imagery, UFO imagery, ET imagery in those events. And we simply can't ignore it. And when you add to it, George, the scholastic, unavoidable truth that the birth and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus was hijacked almost wholesale, plagiarized, copied by religions. In the book, there's three pages of God that were born of virgins on December 25th in humble circumstances like, like mangers that were crucified, resurrected on the third day, and promised that they were coming again. Why is the birth of Jesus, and by the way, there's 8,000 verses in the New Testament, and only 53 of them, George, deal with the birth of Jesus. That's 0.666%. You would think there'd be a lot more on such a central, seminal event. But why is the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the second coming, as we'll see, not only surrounded by UFO, ET, alien imagery, but, George, why is it also copied, hijacked, plagiarized from religions that predate it by thousands of years? It's, it's confounding when you look at it objectively. And uh, the sign of the beast that we read in a, a Revelation, what does that mean, in your opinion? You know, again, George, if you just go back to the text, you don't really have to use any speculation. You don't really have to, you know, wonder what it was or, or speculate about what it is. All of that has come from us leaving the text and looking for some spectacular explanation for it, if you, if you look at it and if you read it, it's very simply the mark of the beast is very simply money, George. It's the stamp of a coin. It's the image that is placed on a coin. It's nothing more than money, but it has come to be this supernatural, you know, end-time boogeyman, hellfire and brimstone type of thing, and it's it's just been pulled out of all context. And, again, I know I sound like a broken record, but we go back to the fact that the New Testament's been jumbled, and it, it prevents us from reading it in order. If we could read it in order, we could see and understand so much of this, and there wouldn't have been so much of this wild speculation and all this fear and worry and anguish. You don't think we have anything to worry about, Jeffrey? I think that... All of this end-time scenario, this tribulation, you know, these, these trumpets, these vials, these, you know, the Antichrist, the temple being destroyed, the red heifer, the Antichrist, all of this is man-made speculation that has been created by leaving the text. Just about everything, George, happened and came to its culmination by A.D. 70. And, George, I believe that 
it's very, very possible, and I'm just going to say it, I believe it. I don't think that the earth is ever going to be destroyed by divine wrath. I don't believe that we serve a God. I don't believe the Bible teaches a God that is going to destroy this earth. I think that this is the last great attempt of entities that do not have our best interests at heart to disrupt us from the fact that we really are headed towards a great realization and a great ascension, if you will, into a, a higher and better form of life. And I think the greatest fear of all controlling agencies, entities, and structures is for when you and I, George Norrie, and all of our friends realize who we are and what we are, and when we complete our ideas and understandings and start moving towards our full ascension, that's what frightens them the most, and that's what the whole end-time, scary, tribulation, prophecy thing is. It's an invention of men to keep us off track. And when you look at it from the scripture, it's not really a matter of opinion. It's just straight and plain. And it's good news, George. Well, they say it's good news after we get through the bad news. Right. <laughs> this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. I remember my dad saying that to me a few times. Did Jesus raise the dead? Lazarus, for example. Well, you know, Yeshua, I call him Yeshua because I, I think that was his name. Uh, we don't want to get uh, hung up on that. Absolutely, George. I believe that uh, Yeshua was, you know, a, a somewhat localized uh, healer, teacher, miracle worker. You know, his, uh, his strength was that he almost controlled the whole city of Jerusalem, not from a, uh, a political point of view, but his message was so strong within the city of Jerusalem that Paul had to actually leave Jerusalem, couldn't even get his message to take hold, because the message of, of, of Jesus, of Yeshua, was so strong within the city. And yes, George, there's, there's no doubt that he came and, and, and shared hold on, the message. Jeff, hold on, hold on. I don't want to interrupt you, but we're at the top of the hour. We'll be back. And Jeffrey Darty with us talk about his thoughts of extraterrestrials as they equate to what was in the New Testament. More with him. These people from the dead, I'll let you finish that up. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, George. Thanks. My passion kind of got in the way of, of doing business. <laughs> but I, I absolutely believe that uh, Yeshua did heal the sick. He did raise the dead, and he did come preaching a message that was the best of all the ways of human spirituality of all time, the best of all the truths of human spirituality of all time, one that when followed leads us, leads us to life and that more abundance. So as we talk about end times, and so many civilizations all thought that they were in the end times. They all did. They all did. Are we any different? No, I, I don't think we are any different. It's obvious we all think we're in the end times, and we at all at all times think uh, we're in the end times. We are, you know, we always think it's 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 the end of days, the days that we're living in. So it's it's kind of a ubiquitous thing from us humans for some strange reason. And Jeffrey, as uh, as you look at your work with the specifically 
that book, Final Message of the Last Apostle, Alien Agenda in the New Testament. You concentrate primarily on, is it uh, Peter? Actually, John, John primarily. Okay. And was was what was his involvement? Because you said he wrote, what, 40 years later after everybody else did? Right. John was a, a rather unique character. When you see all the classic paintings of the, of the Renaissance painters, uh, John is the one that's pictured leaning on the breast of Jesus. John was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. And you know, he was a man that wasn't really given to much you know, doctrinal debate. He was a man that was you know, all about, I guess you'd call him the touchy-feely uh, part of the message of uh, Yeshua. So he was very content. You know, to let James, who was, of course, the leader of the church after uh, the departure of Yeshua, he was very happy to let James uh, lead things and do a lot of writing. He was very happy to let Peter, uh, after him, do a lot of writing. And John was very content to just stay in the background. But something happened, George. After uh, 40 years, he was, you know, in one of those things, really there was a series of things that happened that culminated in A.D. 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem that uh, moved John to the point where he realized that he was the very last apostle, the last man that had ever walked with Jesus. He realized that with his death, the apostolic era would come to a close, and he felt motivated to take pen and paper or whatever it was they wrote with then. And, and right, really, in the book of John, his, uh, three apost- his three epistles, and the book of Revelation, what he really wrote, George, was in effect the last will and testament of the New Testament. And that's what I've tried to look at and find out what he was trying to show us in the final message of the last apostle, quite literally. Okay, let's go to a whole bank of phone calls here for you, Jeffrey. Let's start with uh, Kay in Toledo, Ohio, east of the Rockies. Hello, Kay. Good morning. Hello. I think you're nuts. Totally nuts. God is God is not of this world. He's our heavenly Father. He's of heaven. Who's nuts? And He's nuts, or I'm nuts. You're nuts. <laughs> you're I nuts. am. Tell me why. I don't know why you have such garbage on. Tell me why I'm nuts. Well, the world the world's in bad enough shape. Hey, hey, hey! Tell read, me why I'm nuts. You're not reading your Bible right, Mister. No, I'm Get not. Get back in there and read it. Okay. He's our heavenly Father. Okay. He can make the world go dark okay. right now. He can make the world okay. go light right now. Okay. Do you? He can also shut up your mouth. Okay. What about and yours? Paralyze your tongue if you don't spread such My garbage. Gosh, you're, you're going to be banned to hell. The devil's going to take you for that. Oh, it, it's garbage what you're spreading. Well, what so are you spreading? I think the devil's gotten a hold of you right now. I don't think so. I'm probably more well, religious than you've ever been. He's our heavenly Father. He's he number one. Did I say there's he no wasn't? There's no one him. There's no one after Okay. He's the Do you listen? Omega. You need he's to listen. Hey. And I think we're in the end. Take the earwax out of your ear. with your, your garbage that you're spreading. You have not listened to one thing tonight, have you? Oh, I listened to your mouth all right. And I'm no, no. Shut it off right you're now. A, you're a devil worshiper. Ah. Well, George, I think we might be nuts, but we can at least try to be screwed onto the right bolt, right? She's a devil worshiper. Jeffrey, what am I? My goodness. 
Well, how about how can somebody be so spiritually religious and then have so much stuff come out of her mouth like that? You know, George, what I think happens, and I have some type of an empathy because I was in her position, and when these realities started slapping me in the face, my first response was anger. My first response was to lash out, and you know, I may be completely wrong. I may be way more. Um, she should get mad at you, not me. You're the one making you. Exactly. I mean, I'm the nut, not I'm just, you. I'm just the guy asking the questions. I wow. think she's probably in that place where she's saying, oh, my goodness, what I've always believed I'm going to have to take another look at, and she's panicking. That would be my, uh, you know, my, she doesn't sound like a mean lady, just sounds like a scared lady. She kills the messenger. Absolutely. Let's go to Debbie in Pennsylvania. Debbie, go easy on me. Good morning. Hi. Um, Jeffrey, I have a question for you. Um, do you believe that there is an ongoing uh, battle between good and evil? I mean, you were saying you don't really believe in, like, a devil or, you know, bad things or the tribulation or, you know, any of that stuff. But do you believe that there is an ongoing battle between, you know, the good the angels and everybody, like like God's um, warriors and the devil's warriors? Well, Debbie, thanks for your call and for your question. And I don't think that I said all of those things that uh, you, you put in my mouth there, but you certainly asked an interesting question. And I believe what uh, Yeshua or Jesus said. He said that the kingdom, and it was interesting, the Pharisees came to him and said, hey, what are going to be the signs of the second coming, what should we be looking for? And Jesus said to them, you're missing the boat. There's not going to be any outward signs. There's not going to be any outward signs of a coming. The kingdom's already come. The kingdom of heaven is inside you. And since you asked me the question, I'll give you my personal opinion. There is a battle going on, a battle that we could say was for good, and good against evil, but that battle mainly is going on within each and every one of us to come to grips with the fact that we are not filled with original sin, as a lot of religions teach us, but like Jesus said, we've got the spark of divinity within us, and the real battle that's going on is the battle to get rid of the old paradigm of control matrix thinking and to grow and develop our spirituality within ourselves. And a lot of this fear, you know, even you would agree with me that Jesus said that he does not give us a spirit of fear. So anything that gives you the spirit of fear, I would submit, is not of Jesus. Is there a battle going on? Yes, it's a battle within each one of us to realize who and what we are and come to that fulfillment. And outside of that, all the noise, the tribulation, the fighting, I think a lot of that is just fear and loathing designed to get us off track. Because if you're fearful, you can't be faithful. And if you're worried about what's going to happen, it's very hard for you to make some good things happen within yourself. You know, uh, Jeffrey, uh, a lot of people, of course, uh, take offense when you start talking about extraterrestrials replacing angels. And I guess when you bring Jesus into the picture, it gets even more controversial, doesn't it? Right, George. And, and like we talked earlier, it, it's so much of it, I think, is just semantics. We're arguing 
about things that we really shouldn't be arguing about if we could just, you know, put aside all the rancor and, and the hate and just begin to understand what do you really believe? Here's what I really believe. Can we find some common ground instead of just bashing one another over the head? Like she tried to do. Oh, she didn't try, George. She whacked you. Yeah, but I can't whack her back, so I just <laughs> have to take it. That's the way it is. There goes my one presidential vote I was probably going to get. Done. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jim. Let's go to uh, Joanne in Long Island, New York. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for calling. I don't believe any of you are nuts. But um, I, you know, you know, for you to know where I'm coming from, I believe in the Bible and I believe in extraterrestrials. I can argue. I can see where your guess is coming from, and um, I try to keep an open mind. But um, for argument's sake, let's say that that big shadow that did come over um, was one of those um, Independence Day UFOs. Um, I think they they probably were curious, and if I was a time traveler, I would like to go there, the crucifixion. But I believe Jesus was the savior of all mankind, which would include them. Maybe they were just curious. They accepted him as their God, too. But I can assure you, Jesus would not want to go with them. He would, he, that would defeat the whole purpose of why he gave up his heavenly throne, came down to take on a human body, to be the savior of all mankind. He had to have died on the cross to fulfill scripture. He would definitely not want to go with them. And as to, um, well, that's one, and the reason, we were taught the reason Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the time of his death, he took on the, the sins of all mankind, and God, the Father, have, have nothing to do with sin. That's why he said, why have you forsaken me? But um, I want to ask you this. Does he believe Jesus was literally the Son of God or just a good human? I'll leave it at that. Joanne, first of all, let me just uh, uh, give you credit where credit is due. You're obviously a lady with an open mind. You're obviously a lady that does a lot of thinking. And the fact that you're up tonight listening to this show is, is very encouraging to me. And, and my job, as I see it, is not to tell you what to believe. And even if you did believe something because I said that you should, that would be an insufficient reason. I think you're a lady that's on her way to asking, questioning, and looking and coming to her own decisions. And we don't have to agree on everything, but uh, I, I agree with you and your pursuit for truth. And, yes, I believe that uh, Yeshua, as he came into this world, was, as John wrote in uh, chapter 1, uh, John 1, 1, the very first verse that John wrote was about the word being God, the word that came into this world as Jesus being God. So, yes, I absolutely believe uh, that Jesus, that Yeshua was divine. I absolutely believe that Yeshua was one of the Elohim that created everything in Genesis uh, chapter 1. And if you look at the language and the text alone from John 1 and Genesis 1, you can't really reach any other purely textual uh, conclusion. I don't agree with everything that you said, but I certainly am encouraged by what it looks like to me as a, a lady that's seeking truth. And yes, I believe that uh, Jesus, Yeshua, was indeed divine. Of course, you know, the Vatican believes 
now in extraterrestrial life. Uh, they don't necessarily believe we're going to see it, uh, unlike most of us who believe that it's already been here. But I think that's a dramatic statement, Jeffrey, because belief in extraterrestrial life does not negate one's belief in God, and that's where our first caller, Kay, doesn't get it, that uh, you can believe in extraterrestrial life and God at the same time. Well, George, I would say that we're both living proof of that fact. Well, I would, too. Jeffrey is with us in Culver City, California. Hey, Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, hi, George and Mr. Doherty. Wow, mankind is worse than ever, and if we ever need a revelation to come true, it is now. But uh, I once read a book entitled Myth of the Magi by E.M. Butler, and he wrote of Jesus as being a very gifted magician among the greatest magicians like Zoroaster, Moses, Pythagoras, and Simon Magus. Um, in the chapter on Jesus, Mr. Butler wrote about his supernatural gifts as a child as well as his miraculous powers in adulthood, which had many people mesmerized. My question is this, Mr. Darty, if Jesus was a highly advanced and skilled magi, do you believe that this magical ability included raising himself from the dead in three days, since he had that power to raise the dead? Or was Jesus, in fact, raised from the dead via extraterrestrial intervention? And I'll take the answer off there. Absolutely. Uh, obviously a very learned individual. I have uh, read the book uh, that he was referencing. And, you know, very interesting points uh, that are raised. I think that, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things, George, you look at uh, Yeshua or Jesus, uh, you know, I always uh, try to call him Yeshua, and looking at what he did, you could very easily you know, from depending on your perspective, say that it was magic. And really, all magic is is the direction of our intention anyway. So I would say that, yes, uh, Yeshua did work miracles. And like you asked me, he did raise the dead. He did heal the sick. And is that magic? Well, if you want to call it magic, uh, you know, go ahead and call it magic. Now, the question that he asked about, with the raising of the dead and the crucifixion and all that, you know, I, I really am at a place where I'm taking a step back, and, you know, this is a 20-year preacher saying this. I'm taking a step back. I'm reviewing all the evidence, all the secular evidence of crucifixion, resurrection, all the biblical evidence of crucifixion, resurrection, and just reevaluating everything. And I'll be frank with you, I'm not so sure anymore that the resurrection scenario or the crucifixion resurrection scenario as we understand it was as we understand it, George. Well, I'm not sure either. Uh, I, I truly aren't. You know, but that you... doesn't negate him being uh, the Savior and having the ways, the truth that lead to uh, abundant no, life. No, of course not. Of and, course. George, let me say this. I don't want to jump on, I don't want to uh, step on you, but Yeshua himself said that, he said these words, I think prophetically he said, the, he said, my life is worthless. The, the, the things about my life, my physical essence are worthless. It's my words, my, my words are spirit and they are life. So Yeshua himself said, look, it doesn't matter about my body. And George, if they discover tomorrow that the body of Jesus has been found, if they discover tomorrow that Jesus wasn't even a real person, he was a conglomeration of persons, if they discover that the physical part of Jesus isn't true, there's one thing we know for sure, George. The message of Jesus, the message of Yeshua is real. It is alive, and it still has great power 
for uh, helping humans become better people. So according to Jesus' own words, a lot of the stuff we fight about doesn't matter. Let's focus on the message and not so much of these other things that are debatable. Let's get Peter now in Santa Monica, California, before the break. Pete, go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, I was just going to mention that um, I think that most of the UFOs come to the earth are bad, basically. That's my personal feeling. And when Jesus was born, when you mentioned, well, you mentioned that Mother Mary was, I think, abducted or given a child by an ET or something. Now, Jesus, Mother Mary, and uh, Joseph Arimathea, they were all members of the Athenian community, which was in Qumran there in the Middle East. And they, and now Jesus had 12 legions of angels that came with him his entire life to protect him. So, number one, Mother Mary was protected from any negative force pretty much on earth as well as outside the earth. And also Jesus himself, like when he was born, like he, he had like his higher self or divine presence, what you want to call it. And the 12 legions of angels were there to basically protect him. So that light that you saw was not an ET at all. It was the light of the angels surrounding him and protecting him. And when the three magi came from the east, from, from Persia, they are also high, highly advanced mystics who came to basically help protect him as well. When, he, when, they, when, they went, when they talked to Herod, Herod wanted to kill Jesus, and then he killed all the children afterwards, which is the most abortion today in a sense, but the people mostly don't know they're doing that in that way. They've been programmed to, to abort, abort their children, but they're good people, a lot of the women who do that, actually. But anyway, my point is is that, so, so basically, so when the Magi came, they knew that Herod was going to kill him, so when they found where Jesus was, then they went, they came, did, and they also were protecting him, too. They were hot, like for his aunt. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they were trying to save it. We're going to come back and take some more final calls in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. We've got our final segment just ahead with Jeffrey Dorte as we talk about his work, Final Message of the Last Apostle. He's also author of several other books, including Apostle Paul Antichrist. So we'll be back with your final calls in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. But let me remind you to uh, watch our television program, Beyond Belief, including Cosmic Disclosure with Corey Good. It's a great show, but... We've got a promotion going. It's $0.99 cents for the month to watch all the programs you want at beyondbelief.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. We're going to take your final calls with Jeffrey Dorty. And, Jeffrey, I wrote a little blurb for you on Apostle Paul, the Antichrist, but give us a quick overview of that. It's on Kindle now, too, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, basically, George, that book is uh, its actually a novel, uh, a fact-based novel, and it's explores uh, my belief that the Apostle Paul actually co-opted the original message of Yeshua and turned the message of liberation into a fear-based control matrix. And it's kind of taking off on President Thomas Jefferson, who, who wrote that Paul was the first uh, Corypheus, or the, the first uh, antichrist, or the first one against the teachings of Christ. So it's not Antichrist boogeyman style, it's Antichrist against Christ. What is your take, Jeffrey, on the devil? My take on the devil, you know, that's a great, you know, a great question. And, and you know, <laughs> right off the cuff, George, the biggest devil that most of us ever have problems with is the one that we see in the mirror every day. And if we can conquer that devil, we don't have to worry about any other devils. But you know, I believe that, you know, the word Satan,
down into the original uh, Greek. And I, I personally believe that, again, there's, there's plenty enough wrong with me and myself. I don't have to worry about a devil, but I believe there is unbalanced energy out there that we com- are competing, are combating with and competing with, but I don't believe there is a pitchfork-wielding, red-suited being called the devil. It's probably deep within ourselves, you think. I would say, and again, I'm, I'm a big text-only guy, George, and when you read the text, you don't find this external uh, being, and, and I'm also a big Occam's Razor guy. The simplest explanation is usually the right one, especially when you're talking about you know, coming from the text. So if it's not in the text, I, I don't embrace it. It's pretty much just that simple. All right, let's go to final calls here for you now. We go to uh, R.D. in Pocatello, Idaho. Welcome to the program, R.D. You are on the air with us. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much, George. Thank you for your interesting <laughs> guest this evening. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we overlook uh, some very simple things. Uh, again, we're going to Luke 23:46, and this is the Lord's final statement as recorded there. I don't think they could kill him. Quote, Father, unto thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, unquote, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I just been skirting through the, uh, uh, the New Testament here. I, I, I think that uh, uh, if we want to know if a lady called, if she, if she, I'm sorry she was so upset, if she'll just read the 17th chapter of John. Yes, she was. You'll find that in this intercessional prayer that the Lord says that before he was on the earth, he was the right hand of power. So we have essentially uh, two people there. In the last verse in, in Matthew says that uh, when he it was... Uh, <coughs> talking to the apostles in his uh, last time he visited with them, he said that he had been given all power in heaven and earth. And, of course, this was uh, uh, prior to his uh, his early appearance to the women when he, when he told them, you know, that uh, don't touch me. And he was in spirit form. And, and, Jeffrey, you don't deny the omnipotent power that he had, do you? Absolutely not. I, I rely on the omnipotent power he had uh, every single day of my life. So if you had to categorize, just give us an overview of, of who you think Jesus was or is. I, I think it, it's very clearly stated in the first chapter of the book of John. And again, that's the, that's the last will and testament of the New Testament. John very clearly tells us that uh, Yeshua was God. He was one of the original Elohim that created the earth back in Genesis 1-1. Nothing was created that was not created by him. And it also tells us that he came to enlighten and has enlightened every single person that has ever come into the world. So this concept that we have of original sin is not from uh, the words of Yeshua or his closest apostles. Yeshua was the Elohim incarnate that created the, the world, and he assures us in the first chapter of the book of John, chapter, uh, i got to get my magnifying glass. I do believe that George, chapter 9, that 
Jesus, Yeshua, has enlightened every single person that comes into the into the world. So it's very simple. He was an incarnate Elohim, God in flesh, you can say very literally, and he has given us all the seed of divinity within us. Where do you think prophecy came from, Jeffrey? Well, there's, uh, there is a lot of prophecy, obviously, that is legitimate. And if you, again, staying to the text, and again, I'll get myself in trouble and have a lady calling up and yelling at you again, George. Well, I'd rather she yell at you than me next time. <laughs> well, I'm the one that deserves it, probably. But all of biblical prophecy was pointed at A.D. 70 backward. There's no biblical prophecy beyond A.D. 70. The book of Revelation is showing us a warning of a false flag operation that is going to seek to deceive us by an entity coming claiming he's Jesus, but not Jesus, and it's clearly, totally seen within the text. I know we don't have time to go through it all, but you can get the book at JeffreyDarty.com. You can get the free book at JeffreyDarty.com. And, George, I just hope that people can read it or you know, at least do some research on their own because God is not coming back to destroy and wreck everything. And John, the final message of the last apostle, part of it was, hey, guys, watch out. There's going to be a false flag that's the mother of all false flags, and please don't fall for it. What do you think that false flag could be? A, a phony UFO invasion? What? Well, George, it's going to be one of three things. Uh, I said, call her a few a few people back so that he thought that all uh, ETs were bad, and that would certainly be uh, consistent with what Stephen Hawking thought. And if, if, if bad ETs come back, they're here to destroy us, they're here to colonize us, and they have absolutely no interest in cloaking their intentions or their actions in our religious imagery. So if that happens, Revelation's not talking about that. Also, it could be a benevolent or at least a UFO or an ET species that seeks to control us or farm us or maybe even help us. Now, they could very likely close their arrival in uh, religious imagery, human religious imagery as a train pass. Boy, I, I hope you're not standing on a train track right about I'm not. It's just awfully close to the house. But the third possibility, and I believe the real one, is there is an entity that is going to come back, and he is going to pretend that he is Jesus. He's actually going to cloak himself in the image and the persona of Jesus. And John tells us in Revelation chapter 4 that he actually will hide his own name and proclaim that he is the Word of God. And it's this entity, that's what I think is going to happen. This entity is going to come back in a blaze of UFO glory, and it's not going to be Jesus. It's going to be a fake Jesus. It's going to be the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothes. How will we know? How will we know? Well, we will know, George, by reading the scriptures and stepping outside of our preconditioned hand-me-down ideas. We'll know by not just opening our beaks and taking the regurgitated ideas of other mother birds, but actually studying and looking for ourselves and actually looking inside ourselves and hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let us go to John in St. Augustine, Florida. First time caller, by the way. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi, George and Jeffrey. Hello there. How are y'all doing? Good, thanks. 
Um, I just uh, totally wanted to uh, agree with what Jeffrey just said about uh, uh, Satan coming disguised as uh, an angel of light. You know, he's, uh, I believe, you know, it, they will come, they will come first. Uh, you know, it said uh, the, in the end times will be like they were in the days of Noah with the uh, the fallen angels being here and, uh, you know, the, the 7,000 fallen angels and uh, they got here by uh, spacecraft of some kind because they had to have transportation themselves. So you and, agree with most of this stuff, John? Well, um, yeah, most of it, uh, you know, uh, like in Ezekiel, you know, God came uh, to me, used spacecraft uh, to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, I believe. And, um, you know, there were angels in that, uh, that craft. And uh, I do believe that, you know, these angels, these 7,000 fallen angels will be coming back. And they will have to have transportation. You know, they'll have to have transportation like they did, you know, in Genesis. When they come back, Jeffrey, when will that be? Well, first of all, I think John is on to something here. And as I said in the book, and I'll just go ahead and put it straight out there, I believe he's right that the return will be the being that we know as Satan but what we don't see unless we get into the text very deeply is that the, the being that is called Satan is called by Yeshua, the adversary. And that being, George, and I believe I proved it beyond dispute in the final message of the last apostle, the being that comes back and leads this false flag and pretends that he's Jesus will be none other than the being that we have long known as the Lord Jehovah that guy, George, is going to be the one that perpetrates the false flag. Hmm. You're not it's, too controversial, Jeff, are you? No, and here's my question, oh my George. Gosh. God comes back with a ship. I mean, I, I'm reminded of the words of Captain Kirk in Star Trek V. What does God need with a starship? If he's really God, what does he need with a starship? He, he doesn't. He just shows up. That's my thoughts. Mr. Norrie. Let's go to Patty in Seattle, Washington. Hello, Patty. Go ahead. Hi, George. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you guys? Good, Patty. I just love the show tonight. It is so important to all humanity in reality. Um, oh, the reason that I was calling was, um, in particular, when when you quoted Jesus on the cross, I know that lady got so mad at this, but I know that you are doing a good work, and it it is very important. You said some very important things. Um, when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatane, that, and he said, oh, God, oh, God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, he was not saying that God had forsaken him. He was quoting Psalm 22, which was a thousand years prior, the prediction that Jesus would be exactly where he was at that moment in time and that the Romans would be gambling for his vestures and clothing and um, in that case he was simply quoting that the 1,000 year prior prediction 
was absolutely true, and it had come to a completion at that time. And so um, I wanted to know your opinion on that, and and did did you know that he was quoting Psalm 22, and that Jesus never called God God. He always called him Father. Father, yeah, that's right. Jeffrey, take it away. Patty, you're a most gracious lady. Thank you so much for calling, and I, I really appreciate uh, uh, your spirit and uh, your spirit of inquiry. And I, yes, you know, I've, I've probably read the Bible, like I said, over 150 times, and yeah, I do, I do know and understand that he was uh, uh, quoting the psalmist. But you know, after 30 years of ex- extensive Bible study, I have really come to the place where I am looking at the text and the text alone, and while your interpretation and your inference there is certainly uh, worthy of consideration and certainly worthy of uh, finding some deeper truth, the text and the text alone says, why are you leaving me behind? That's not an exact rendering of the words of the psalmist in the original Hebrew, but again, I respect your scholarship, I respect uh, your opinion, and I hope that you'll allow me uh, to just stay strictly to the text and give you just a textual rendering. That's what I'm trying to do. And Yeshua looked up, saw something leaving, and said, hey, why are you leaving me behind? Yes, reminiscent of the words of the psalmist, not quite exactly the same, but certainly uh, a, a very valid and interesting observation that you've made, Patty. Jeffrey, before we take final calls, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about where people can get your works and your website, please. Absolutely. It's very simple, jeffreydarty.com. Uh, you can find out everything that you need to know or want to know about me right there. It's very simple. You know, We have books. We have uh, tapes. We have uh, spiritual work that we do. And we're there to help you, and at this point, I'm still able to answer most of the emails on my own. Give me a couple days. If uh, you respond to me, I'll certainly uh, uh, respond back to you. But please know I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You're a devil. Don't waste your time and mine, because we really, neither one of us, have the time to engage in that foolishness. And we have Nita in Florida with us. Hi, Nita. Hi. Hi, George. Good morning. I um, I believe you can believe in both, like you guys do, and a lot of what he's saying really makes a lot of sense. I've never really thought about it that way before, but something that he's kind of indirectly talked about, but just not straight out talked about is, what about the part where it says that you have to accept Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and be baptized before you can Mm -hmm. go into heaven, and do you believe in heaven? He kind of talked about it a little bit, but I'm still kind of confused about your opinion, and maybe I just want to hear a direct how you feel about that. All right. That's a pretty spiritual segment there. Fair enough, Nita. And, again, we tried – we were trying to stay away from you know, religious implications and allow people to draw their own religious implications. Now, as you're asking me directly and personally, the scriptures that you reference, you know, must be forgiven of your sins, you know, must repent, must be born again. Those are all Pauline scriptures. Yeshua came, and with he and John the Baptist, they said that, it was now baptism that washes away and provides forgiveness for sin. So the whole idea of sacrifice and blood was done away with by Yeshua and John the Baptist. And I believe that there are two differing religions, two different differing faiths, and you're free to choose either one. 
One is the original faith of Yeshua that has a divinity at the heart of every human being, born with, with divinity within, a baptism washing away sin, no need for blood, no need for sacrifice. And the other is the Pauline religion, born in original sin, having there's no forgiveness except through the shedding of blood. Your choice, I also believe you have the choice to know that there are two differing ways. So you're coming to a fork in the road, take it. Jeffrey, my friend, keep in touch with us. Always good talking with you, Jeffrey Doherty. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.